Hey, Tidbitters. Welcome to Audio Tidbits. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, we really appreciate your giving us a chance, giving us a try, if you will. If you're an old-timer, have been here before, thanks for coming back. We always appreciate you and the time you spend with us. Today, we have two things for you. Number one, Gus has a piece on change. And particularly if you are proposing to initiate some change, he has 12 questions for you that you might want to ask before you dive in. Once Gus is finished, I have some thoughts for you about what I think of as the emotional sweet spot. It's not as simple or as easy as you might think, but if you find it, it's a really cool place to be. Once we get finished, then, of course, we have a selection for you from Kevin McLeod and his fine music. So, with that in mind, here we go. I think we all know that things are constantly changing, whether or not we are paying attention to the changes. It may seem that everything is the same today as they were yesterday, but they aren't. Even if we don't notice, nothing is quite the same today as it was yesterday. Things change, people change, circumstances change, and we change too. What this fact of life and living demonstrates is that change is a process and not an event. The outcome may appear to be spontaneous but never is. Fortunately, we can usually understand what happened if we stop to consider it carefully. Even if we don't understand, we know that the change was a result of a process that is just not clear to us. At times, we decide that we are not satisfied with the status quo and want things or circumstances to change. The change we want may be for us, our family, a specific relationship, our work team, our company or other organization, our community, or within any context where we think change is desirable or necessary. That is when we consider initiating the change process. We know we don't like how things currently are, and we have a notion about how we would like them to be. Getting from where things are now to how we want them to be is an example of the change process that is always chugging away. For this change so, we intend to be the change agent. Whenever you intend to be the change agent, there are 12 questions you should ask and answer before initiating the change process that leads to the change you want. And the bigger or more important the change is for you and for others, the more critical it is for you to ask and answer the 12 questions. Here are the 12 questions. Answer each yes or no in relation to the change process you intend to initiate. For these questions, yes is only yes if you are quite sure. If not, the answer is no, until you are sure. 1. Do you expect the change process to succeed, to make a positive difference? 2. Do you have a realistic vision of or perception of success, how things will be when the change succeeds? 3. Are you personally motivated by the likely payoff or outcome of the change? 4. Do you understand that, in the long run, it would take as much time and energy to maintain the status quo or current situation as it will to get the payoff from the change? 5. Are you prepared to take full responsibility for your participation and interaction throughout the change process? 6. 
Do you understand your active role and influence in the change process? 7. Do you understand and are you committed to what will be required for the process to succeed? 8. Are you confident in your ability to do what is necessary to realize the expected change? 9. Are you comfortable working with the others involved in the change process? 10. Are you looking beyond simple self-interest in the change succeeding? 11. Do you see each participant benefiting from his or her participation in the change process? 12. Are you being realistic about your ability, skill, and capacity to function effectively within the change process? Did you answer yes to each of the 12 questions? If so, you are good to go. If not, you would be well advised to give a little more thought to it before initiating the change process you are contemplating. Now you know so there you go. What comes to mind for you when I mention cooperative? Now consider what comes to mind when I mention not cooperative. For me, the only notion that comes to mind is uncooperative. Let's try the same exercise with relaxed. For me, several emotions come to mind such as uptight, anxious, agitated, upset, restless and so on. Even so, I divide the emotional state into relaxed and not relaxed. The point is that I divide emotional states into two states that I can characterize as X and not X. Try it for yourself. For example, what is the alternative to being affectionate, to being supportive, to being trusting? You likely come up with a few words to describe each but those words are just ways of being more specific about not affectionate, not supportive, and not trusting. If we were to stop here, the conclusion would be pretty simple. The target emotion is either present or not present. What's more, we also divide emotions into two more groups, good and not good. Being cooperative is good and being uncooperative is bad. The same good or bad dichotomy holds for relaxed and not relaxed, affectionate and not affectionate, supportive and not supportive, trusting and not trusting. Sure, there are people in situations where good and bad get reversed. For example, where trusting is a bad idea and not trusting is the better part of good judgment. Nonetheless, good and bad are still in play. In last personal relationships and situations, we may want to replace affectionate with warm to avoid any issue with meaning, but the present versus not present, good versus bad division still applies. What is the alternative to warm? Terms like cold and aloof come to mind. Warm is good and aloof is bad. I'm getting closer to the point. Using this approach to understanding emotional states, we can see that we can and do think about emotional states as ranging from fully present to fully absent, from all good to all bad, and we then judge other people and ourselves accordingly. One end of the range for each of the emotional states is the ideal place for us to be and not being there is actionable. We want other people to be more cooperative, more relaxed, warmer, more supportive and more trusting. We may or may not apply the same expectation to ourselves or at least not to the same degree, but the expectation is there and doing better is always an option. 
but what if the construct or mental model we are using for emotional states is wrong? Now I get to the point I want us to consider. What if emotional states are not in a range from good to bad, from present to not present? It's not a dichotomy. Instead, think of an emotional state as ranging from not present to present and then on to not present. Present is a single point in the middle. Emotional states range from bad and undesirable to good and desirable and then on to bad and undesirable. Good is a single point in the middle. The notion is sort of like the notion that says, there can be too much of a good thing. Let me suggest a few ranges that shift from undesirable to desirable and then when desirable goes too far, it becomes itself undesirable. Nervous shifts to relaxed but if overdone becomes impassive. Cold shifts to warm but if taken too far becomes smothering. Cynical shifts to trusting but if overdone becomes gullible. Critical shifts to supportive but can turn into being unquestioning. Oppositional shifts to cooperative which if taken too far becomes acquiescence. As we can now see, the emotional sweet spot is in the middle between not X and taking X too far. In each example, if the emotional sweet spot in the middle is taken too far, the outcome is undesirable, perhaps even more undesirable than not relaxed, not warm, not trusting, not supportive or not cooperative. What happens as we go past the sweet spot, as we shift toward too much of a good thing? As counterintuitive as it may seem, we begin to emotionally separate, to disconnect from people and situations. We begin to abandon our individual agency and succumb to the manipulation of people and circumstances. We may do this more passively as in becoming acquiescent or impassive or more actively as in becoming gullible or smothering. In any event, instead of stopping and taking stock at the sweet spot, we take a good thing too far. What is the conclusion? As we find the emotional sweet spot in any relationship or situation, take care not to go too far in what seems to be the right direction. Since we can likely never exactly hit the emotional sweet spot and stay there, let's call that finding X. We are usually better off leaning a little toward not X then running the risk of too much X where we begin to lose our individual agency and our ability to judge. It may be useful to note before stopping that cunning us into the emotional sweet spot and then nudging us on past is the secret sauce in robocalls and most any other scam. Just know that it can and does happen, often when we are least expecting it. Along with keeping our emotional radar up for external signs, we also need to keep our internal emotional radar active for signs that we may be shifting on past the emotional sweet spot, those times when it's telling us to pull back a little, to take care not to lose our emotional edge. Now you know, so there you go.
Music by Kevin McLeod.